there, gang. What's going on? This is the Startup Catalyst podcast brought to you by Sultan Ventures, the show where we interview entrepreneurs and investors on the stories and catalysts of their startup successes and failures. I'm your host, Luke Tucker. Today's episode is a special one as we welcome Jared Marquette from Village Capital and Tarek Sultan to chat about startup ecosystems. Now, Village Capital, or Vilcap as it's known, is unique in that they actually have a peer-driven investment model. Now, they also started this new thing called Startup Communities around the country, and Sultan Ventures alongside Accelerate UH and Energy Accelerator are excited to be one of the 17 uh, representing Hawaii. Now, in today's show, you'll learn about Vilcap's investment model that I had mentioned, what the Vilcap communities are, what they look like, how they were selected, all that jazz. Uh, we talk about different aspects of ecosystems. So what is government's role? Uh, what about a university? How important has Jared seen that across the ecosystems that he's been into? Um, what's his take on our ecosystem here in Hawaii? Uh, how we compare, how we can improve, and what his experience has been like here. So we have a blast chatting uh, and lots of good stuff. So please enjoy the conversation that I have with Jared Marquette and Tarek Sultan on Startup Ecosystems. Welcome to the Startup Catalyst podcast. This is your host, Luke Tucker. I am here with Jared Marquette from Village Capital and guest starring Tarek Sultan, the one and only from Sultan Ventures. Welcome, guys. Aloha. I'd, I'd actually, I'm going by Naw Willy Willy these days, <laughs> so I've changed my name, so I'd appreciate if everyone respected that change. There you go. All right. Well, we will uh, make sure that's in our show notes, <laughs> Okay. Uh, and I you. expect to see the change completed on your LinkedIn profile and all social profile accounts going forward. Yeah, I'm going government documents next, so <laughs> I'm going to send in my passport and see if this works out. Okay. Well, uh, if not, then at least, you know, maybe uh, update your middle name, or every time you come to Hawaii, uh, the... Uh, People here will know you as No Willy Willy. So I think the middle name's a good idea. The middle name is yeah. pretty good. Yeah. That, sound, that sounds the If not your firstborn child. Yeah. That well, could work out as well. I don't, I don't know if I'm gonna have a child if I go by No Willy Willy. <laughs> I'm not sure that that lends itself well. Well, yeah. We uh, good luck with that. But uh, <laughs> you are here not just to hang out and get awesome new nicknames. You're here to. Um, actually visit one of your village capital communities. So we are fortunate with Accelerator UH, Energy Accelerator, Sultan Ventures uh, to be one of those communities. So we're stoked to welcome you. You're coming to the end of your week. Uh, we wanted to kind of talk a lot about ecosystems. That's more or less what the title of this show and episode is going to be. But I wanted to have the audience get an opportunity for you to kind of share uh, what is Village Capital? Because you guys kind of have a different approach to investing. And so maybe at a high level, you can just talk about Village Capital's model. Yeah, so we are an ESO, entrepreneurial support organization, who runs programs globally to support entrepreneurs. So each year we run five to six domestic and five to six international programs, each of which subscribe to a category of high impact. So we do healthcare, education, food and agriculture, water and energy, and fintech. With those, we actually we have a fund, a for-profit fund and a nonprofit programmatic arm and the for-profit fund invests through the programs of the non-profit programmatic arm and it, we kind of do it a little different we actually don't choose our own investments right really. so this is like your peer yeah. investment model yeah yeah so it's it's it, i guess the thought is that the collective opinion of a group of high quality entrepreneurs will 
be more accurate and less biased than the opinion of a traditional investor, not to say all investors, but um, just generally kind of trying to crowdsource collective thought. And so these entrepreneurs that go through our program actually rank each other. It's, it's more than just list one through 12. There's, there's a lot of different elements that go into it, but rank each other. And at the end of a program, the top two rated ranked companies by their peer groups are the ones that are guaranteed investment through the fund. Okay, so that's they're like they're guaranteed the investment, but do you invest in any others or have you? Yeah, no. So we only, and it's a good question and one that we, we bring up a lot, but I think it's a slippery slope to do it otherwise. If what we're saying is this collective opinion is a better opinion right, and a less biased opinion, I think a big thing we're trying to do is eliminate the inherent bias in, in the investment process. Right now, within the U.S., 75% of all dollars go to three states and 90% of all dollars go to white males. And that's problematic for a number of reasons. I think it's leading to lower quality investments across the board and not solving problems associated with everyone. But if we think this model is correcting for that, then it's kind of difficult to say like, oh, we, we pre-commit to the top two, but there's also another one that we like. Sure. Um, so we, don't, we, we work with a lot of other investors through the programs and post-programs, and it's our goal that all of the companies that go through the program find investment. They're not, the top two aren't the only investment-worthy one. The, eight to 12 generally in a program or the eight to 12 best that we found out of hundreds of applications across the country. So we, we work with them to help them find investment, but our fund will only invest for our first investments through the peer rank process. We do do follow-ons for the companies that we've invested in through the peer rank process ourselves. We're trying to, I mean, we, we'd like to see if we can figure out a peer ranked version of that, but Gotcha. So the follow-on funding is still by the uh, the general partners or whoever in your funds. Yeah, yeah, but only follow-on committed gotcha. for the companies that have gone through the peer. And you continue process. to provide resources for everybody that that kind of participates going beyond. Yeah, I think it, it's facilitating conversations while they're there. I think it it, it starts to be probably we've run more entrepreneurial programs in the last five years than anybody else in the world, and so with having run so many programs, you can't continue to support everyone post-program. We try to do what we can, and with these communities we're working with now, we're trying to be more specific about leveraging key partners and areas so that we can be useful. But during programs, we do everything we can to match people up with their respective points of interest and then hope that they can continue those conversations ultimately after the program ends. Yeah, and I know on your website, people can check it out. We'll link to it in the show notes, but you guys already have some early or successes. I guess early is relative, but um, you know, definitely documented successes of it. And you recently raised, I think, $17.7 million in a big fund. So congratulations on well, that. Yeah, thank you. It's exciting. Yeah, I know Steve Case being a, a big part of your guys' story and everything that uh, he's got with the third wave and Rise of the Rest and what uh, we can you know, kind of dive into some of that stuff later. But I actually wanted to have Tarek maybe jump in real quick here because you have participated as a community member in some of the, the village capital um, activities in, I believe it was Utah, you went. So maybe kind of share your experience. And one thing that I, because just to kind of like jump ahead on that, uh, it is almost a zero-sum game in this, right? You have 12 people in a room, and you look across the room, and you know, you know only 10 of it or two of us out of the 10 or 12 are going to get it. So how do you kind of approach that or what was in your mind? Sure. So I was really excited to, uh, well, one, for Hawaii to be represented in this VilCap Communities program. Uh, as you know, at Salta Ventures, we're a boutique venture firm, but more than that, we're, we're ecosystem builders, right? So uh, flying out to Salt Lake City, meeting um, what, about 16 other uh, ecosystem champions was really exciting to learn and, and more importantly, share best practices with one another. And 
you know, true to Vilcap's word, it was a diverse set of people, not just geographically, but from, you know, ethnicities. Um, you know, there's a lot of women at the table. So it was really exciting to see what's working and not working in different communities and a real testament to how far, um, you know, Startup Paradise Hawaii has come, uh, you know, in relation to all of those other cities. Awesome. Now, I know we want to, Jared, we want to talk a little bit more about Hawaii later on in the podcast, but in terms of the communities, um, and maybe my terminology with Phil Cabin, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I know you said you guys are doing international as well as national, but this kind of communities that at least um, Sultan Ventures, Accelerate UH, and Energy are a part of, this is the first year you guys are rolling this out? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a, a new effort for us. Okay. I, I think it's, you know, we've been running these core programs, which is what I talked about earlier for five years now, and... I think it's a question of how do we scale the opportunity so other people are able to benefit from the peer review and rank process. And uh, I mean, a little bit on that. I think it, it's not just a good, great way to find investments. I think the portfolio is performing incredibly well. 40% of our portfolio are female-founded companies. A little over 20% are minority-founded companies. It's proving to be a less biased process, but I think it's really helpful, too. I think any opportunity you get that you can extract – as much knowledge from a group of people as possible so that it can be shared is really, really useful and not something that we often see. We all say good job or you can do better, but this this allows for it to be a lot more specific. But we want everyone to be able to do that. And then we also want to be able to expel as much capital as possible using the process. And so how do we scale? Do we want to run 30 programs a year? It sounds scary and, and like a lot. Or can we support communities across the country that have a particular advantage, across the world, a particular advantage in some type of startup support and raise funding or allocate funding to those groups that are using the peer rank process to get more money out there that way? And so that was kind of the idea, obviously, behind communities is how can we scale this? And this is when you guys are trying it out and um, kind of approaching there. So you've traveled around. I think we are the 16th, if I'm remembering it right, community that you visited. 15th. 15. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I've, well, I've been to all the other ones. I think that okay. I, I made a list the other day and I went, I think it was 46 cities last year and I'm at 30 right now for this year. So uh, hopefully I'll, I'll do better than that. Yeah. But I spend all of my time. You got to beat your record, man. Last yeah, year. I know. I feel good about <laughs> it. I've got, I've got a buddy pass on Southwest, but no buddy because I don't have <laughs> uh, but it's there. If you see Jared at an airport somewhere, definitely strike up a conversation and chat with him. He'll be the handsome guy with the uh, awesome haircut. Now, let's kind of dive into ecosystems. Let's chat through, uh, just kick off with you, um, you know, talking about going to these 15 different uh, communities or 46, 30, however many cities you've been to. Uh, you, you were in the Hawaii uh, standard time zone right now, just so you know. Yep, yep. Um, it is uh, 5.16 p.m. Uh, in August 4th, 3rd in 2016, year of our Lord. Okay. Um, <laughs> it, it's the 4th. <laughs> it's the 4th. <laughs> okay so it is august 4th now what are some of the things like commonalities or the different selection process that you'd had with uh vilcap on the community side like what were you looking for when you guys are selecting these communities it's a good question um i'd say that the, the thought that kind of encompasses the initial vetting is self-awareness and I guess it's kind of a strange thing to say when you're talking about something that seems more tangible in an ecosystem. But there's a lot of conversation about how to be a great city for startups and how to be the next Silicon Valley. But Silicon Valley is Silicon Valley. Uh, you know, I, I, it 
is what it is because there's a history that's led to that. So the you know Fairchild Semiconductors and the Treacherous Eight and the beginning of venture capital, it just didn't decide to be something. It is something, and it turned out to be something fantastic. I mean, it, it's the number one place for entrepreneurship in the country and funding in the country for a reason. But you can't replicate 60, 70 years of history to build something elsewhere. And I think that the first thing we want to see is a city or a community be aware of what it is, what it's well positioned to do, what it's not well positioned to do, why it is what it is. And that can happen for a lot of different reasons. Like, you know, you look at Cincinnati, which is right on the river and home to Procter and Gamble and Kroger which I wouldn't think of as traditional water companies, but a hygiene, Procter & Gamble, high water use company, and Kroger has canning facilities, and they make ice cream, and it's high water usage. It's on the Ohio River. The EPA's there. Confluence Water Cluster is one of the larger water clusters in the country. It's home to the oldest municipal water utility company in the country with waterworks. So there's like a lot of weird reasons that it's well positioned for water, and you can't be another city and say, I'm going to go back and build now the oldest water utility company in the country. So, you know, really it's just, it's helping us understand why a city, like why or a state, why is Hawaii better positioned to do something than anywhere else? I think a lot of it, you can look at it like a startup. Like, what do you want to know from a startup is why are you all better positioned? Uh, how are you different, right? Yeah, like, What's and, your and competitive why, advantage? What can you do that no one else can do? And, and how are you going to sustain that? And so we look for that elsewhere. But once you decide that, it's a question of who's doing something about it there. It's or who can, who who is in a position that they can take advantage of those unique opportunities and they can kind of organize or I guess aggregate, organize and communicate those key assets and key values and key resources to an entrepreneurial community. So starting large and kind of honing in and at the end what we end up with is a Tarek and an Omar and you know a Christy Weiskel at Johns Hopkins or a Melly Price at Dell Medical, just people who are at the epicenter of the activity. Hmm. Now, like Tarek, in terms of, um, you know, you've, you've visited cities across the country as well, and I know you've, you know, been uh, involved in the Hawaii community here, filling out the applications, even for VILCAP and stuff. Uh, what were some of the things that, how did you identify, you know, that self-awareness? Like, how do you kind of approach that, that problem, and, and how did you go about kind of identifying these are the ones, and maybe what are they for Hawaii? Sure. <clears throat> so for Hawaii, uh, we are actually really blessed as a startup community. Um, I've traveled around a lot as well, nowhere near as much as Jared. But um, you know, I've noticed in a lot of different cities, they'll have uh, like one type of entity uh, really dominate the ecosystem there. So in a lot of cities, it's like a nonprofit uh, accelerator, for example. And others, it might be a couple of major venture funds. Here in Hawaii, we're blessed where everybody is coming to the table, right? We have accelerators, co-working spots, venture funds, government involved, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so in that sense, we're, we're as a startup community, uh, as a sector agnostic startup community, we're, we're dominating right now, um, I would say nationally, at least from what I've seen. And again, I've seen a lot of cities, um, I think only at like 15 to 20 this year, so not quite as impressed with this, Jared. Um, Got some catching up to do, man. Yeah. But you can be his buddy, buddy no, on the buddy pass. pass. <laughs> uh, what, what we focused on for our VILCAP uh, communities application was, uh, again, leveraging what are Hawaii's strengths, right? So our ecosystem is a strength in and of itself, but what is Hawaii's geographic strengths, right? And we thought that was energy and ag innovations. Uh, Hawaii, as uh, well, maybe not a lot of people know, but actually has the highest um, prices of electricity across the nation. That's three to four times the national average. But we also have the uh, largest sources of renewable energy uh, pretty much anywhere in the world, right? Sun, solar, wind, um, water, geothermal, et cetera. 
So what that provides is a unique problem with on already a, a solution there waiting to be tapped into, right? So it's a very attractive option for uh, startups to test out their innovation here for the commercial sector to um, be open to pilot, you know, pilot projects with startups. Same thing with the ag innovation, right? If there was a catastrophic, catastrophic event, Hawaii wouldn't last more than a week or two of, um, off of whatever food we already have on island. Um, and so there's a lot of need and, and uh, innovation already taking place in the ag sector, in the energy sector, and a lot of applications for those and uh, that traverses multiple sectors. So we thought, you know, given that energy accelerators right across the street, uh, Maui Food Innovation Center just popped up, you know, all the work that we're doing with the University of Hawaii through Accelerate UH, I mean, there's no better uh, window of opportunity <laughs> and alignment of the stars, if you will, than to focus on energy and ag right now. And with the national partners like Village Capital, I mean, that's just a nice bridge to the mainland um, for follow-on funding, continuing, uh, uh, not, not just continuing to, um, build those relationships, but also tap into also other national networks as well. Hmm. Now, I know there's a lot of different partners within an ecosystem, Jared, but let's, let's talk about maybe the role that you've seen uh, or that you look for and have seen being successful in terms of the government's involvement. Like, how much is too much? How little is too little? Uh, do you have any kind of thoughts or kind of heuristics that you apply towards that? I mean, it's different everywhere, and I hate for that to be an answer, but I think in everything that we do, it, it's different everywhere, and it depends... I think on the structure, on the individuals that the government's assigning responsibility to to take part in this type of action, we're seeing more chief innovation officers or departments of innovation in places. And I what's kind of maybe their background typically, you think? It, it's, it's usually not government related, which has been good. And That's kind of seeing that pass. I know when I was in Nashville, it was um, an individual named Yahweh Ye, who was for a short period of time the mayor of Palo Alto, came to Nashville, did an incredible job with it. Now he's working for Google Fiber. And so I think it's someone that it's a stopping ground for them. I mean, a lot like the public sector, we're seeing a lot of the innovation happen. It needs to be someone who's coming in for a purpose. and Or it's oftentimes beneficial if it's someone coming in for a purpose, doing a job. Kind of be inspired by yeah, civic engagement. Kind of, you know, kind under, of understand it a, a little differently. And I think, you know, th there's – and Steve talks about it in third wave – it's impossible not to work with the government. You know, I mean, there are regulations and there are things that need to be understood, like it or not. Not that that I don't, but it's there. So we it's can't the reality, really, yeah, right? You know, so, so you need to find a way to navigate it and a way to work within it. And I think that it's great to have government leaders who understand the the true impact of the startup community. And I don't think that that's always understood. It seems it can be lip service sometimes, or you know, oh yeah, startups. Like we're, we're happy about it. Without understanding, Kaufman came out to study last year that 100% of net new jobs are created by new businesses, businesses under 10 people. Something I don't know the exact numbers, um, but th that it is significant, and that we do have to look ahead, and the government in looking ahead, and being an institution that is supposed to have a long-term vision and protect the people. I think it's important that that happens, but you can do too much too. You know, I, I think that. Like any other business, you don't want to tell other people necessarily how to do what they're good at. Like if I get a haircut, I'm going to ask, I'm going to say, cut my hair, like make me look good. Or at a restaurant, what should I eat here that you work here? This is your domain. This is what you do. And so it needs some laissez-faire attitude to we're going to be hands-off but still provide the structure necessary. I think probably one of the things I've observed that's been really helpful is those that are in the government seats or in these positions that are willing or actually at proactively going out for that feedback, right? It's like, Hey, Tarek Sultan, come help us. Like, what do you, what do you need from, 
from us, right? Like, what are you looking for? And maybe even just applying themselves to educate in, in that space. I uh, would imagine that that's probably something that's very well received. So it's a two-way street, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I think you see people in the economic development arms of government that are pretty good at that and, and understanding. Because, you know, that's kind of their obligation. And I think that oftentimes we try to look to, you know, the mayor of a city. And I, I get that, but they have a lot of responsibility. And <laughs> they're not going to be able to spend all their time understanding the problems of or asserting themselves to provide solutions for problems associated with the startup community. And so finding other champions of change or champions of progress within the government that are related to those entities, but whose jobs it is to kind of move the needle or push things forward is important. Do you find like um, economic development uh, departments or whatnot are typically highly involved or like, is there an investment arm? I know here we have different state agencies that are either hybrid or that are under charter through different groups. Do you see that a lot? Yeah. I mean, I think that the state governments try and allocate funding to be committed towards some type of capital investment in a lot of different ways. Um, I wasn't aware of that. It's kind of the things you learn. You think everything's the same until you see something different. But I think what's happening here, and we see that, I think there seems to be a lot of interaction between those government organizations and the people that they're funding. Um, I don't know if it's too much, but it, it's it's very hands-on, as where in a lot of other places, like in Tennessee, you see the Tenvesco funds and all the money dedicated there to be allocated to launch Tennessee and different groups that then reallocate that money, but they're public-private partnerships instead of private or public partnerships. And so I think that the fact that they straddle that line on both can be advantageous instead of having one side of the line that's controlling all of the capital. So let's kind of maybe talk about universities' involvement in an ecosystem. I know we know there's uh, through Accelerate UH we have a certain uh, thesis and and um, you know uh, value that we've definitely uh, leveraged for the university. And even you know we were talking earlier a little bit about startup communities by Brad Feld and even uh, Paul Graham in his article How to Be Silicon Valley. They both talk about universities. Now I think Brad's, um, if I remember his, his book right. He's basically saying it's important, but it's not like absolutely necessary. Paul Graham is basically saying, well, you need some things just to have a community like a Silicon Valley, and you need smart people. Usually smart people will go where there's great education, so university is a big part of that. Uh, have you seen it being like, I guess, where do you fall on that scale maybe would be a better question. Yeah, I think it, it, it's funny. It, I, I work with Rise of the Rest, and so I help plan the tours for Rise of the Rest and Steve Case, and we always try to find some narrative for the community, and we ask them a lot of times, what is it that you want to talk about? What's a problem, or what's a potential issue, or what's uh, some underlying values, an untapped resource? And a lot of the conversation is always, how do we get the universities to work well with entrepreneurship? And I think that everyone thinks that it's a unique problem to them, when it's the exact opposite. I could name a handful of communities and universities that do, you know, everyone knows Stanford and Carnegie Mellon and MIT. There, there are far less that are doing well than there are ones that aren't doing well. Oh, interesting. So, I mean, I think it's important, but I mean, I think in, in, in both cases, it's kind of saying it might be a secondary output and it might not be the tech transfer office and it might not be university related IP, but it's, it's smart people. I mean, I think it's like here with Sultan Ventures working with the university on university IP, which, which can have some great things happen but also working with just individuals that are coming out of those institutions, the higher education institutions, because that's important because smart people are attracted, not saying you have to go to college to be a smart person, but just the density of opportunity seems to be a little more clustered in areas with higher education or esteemed higher education organizations. 
Yeah, and so just to piggyback off of that, like when you think about successful accelerator or incubator programs, right, they all have uh, a lot of things in common. They have um, access to resources. They have uh, talented individuals that are dedicated towards a certain cause. They have those talented individuals all kind of in this one gravitational hub, right, where their collision uh, gets to occur. They have access to mentors, uh, to experts, et cetera. What else sounds like that, right? A university, except the difference is universities have you know tens, hundreds of millions of dollars, sometimes billions of dollars of federal R&D getting poured into there to create these unbelievably like groundbreaking uh, research and innovation, right? Accelerators are usually only dealing with a few million. <laughs> so for us at, you know, especially at Sultan Ventures and obviously through Accelerate UH, we think that um, you, as you look across the country, what are the greatest uh, innovation hubs? They're always associated with some type of um, you know, research, uh, research university collaboration. So you look in Silicon Valley, you have you know Berkeley, Stanford, et cetera. In Boston, you have Harvard, MIT, Triangle Park, uh, Georgia uh, Tech Research Alliance. Um, just literally, you can just keep going around the country and every great innovation uh, sector usually has a university involved. Hmm. Now, uh, we're going to throw out kind of a statement that I think is in Bradfield's uh, startup communities. So just love to get your thoughts on it. And so he says that the best started communities have porous boundaries. What does that kind of uh, mean to you? Yeah, I mean, I think that we, we talk a lot about something that we call the alumni wall. And it's like, you know, no matter how good of a community you are, at some point an entrepreneur is going to have to leave the constructs of your geographic location to grow you know, even nashville a great healthcare community tons and tons of healthcare resources you most likely are not going to always and only do business in nashville <clears throat> i think the earlier that people can build those relationships <clears throat> the better off everyone is we talk about drain or you know coastal loss of talent and I think if we recognize early on that if we create these porous boundaries and also just kind of these direct channels to these other markets so that they can benefit from the resources that are available there, we'll see that there actually is less movement than more movement. If you're here in Hawaii, but I know in coming here to Honolulu, I'm not only connecting myself to the market here, but I'm going to have relationships with Minneapolis and their ag community and Louisville and Brown Foreman and Yum Brands and Austin and Whole Foods. If I can come here and have access to those, then it becomes more attractive to be here. And it also creates an avenue for me to work. I mean, we have less boundary now just because of the ways we communicate technology. But creating direct handles to those seems to be something that we're seeing more and more of in that there's really not any negative effect of it. If we're looking at the startup itself, I think we have to be unselfish and say, what's best for the startup is, is what should be done and not hold on to them until they suffocate and die. Um, but kind of, you know, depending on that attitude, I think as long as we can keep that in mind, that it's something that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, Tariq, did you have any kind of thoughts on that? Yeah, just to, again, just piggybacking. I think Jared and I share a lot of the same views. So. <laughs> You're piggybacking together we're, we're, all the we're time. Sharing so. <laughs> we're sharing a microphone. So. We're putting our two heads together. Um, no, I completely <laughs> agree. Yeah, you like that. Uh, I completely agree that it's whatever is best for the startup is best for the community. So, you know, here in um, Startup Paradise, at least our personal perspective is that Hawaii is an amazing place to start a startup. It's probably not the best yet to scale a startup. So that if that means that the startup needs to leave Hawaii to continue its success, that's great. Because, you know, when they exit and, and come back, um, they're probably coming back to Hawaii. And as they're continuing to grow, they're still probably going to have a regional presence here in Hawaii. 
Uh, so that's just one of the many reasons why I think um, we don't want to necessarily, you know, set up these these artificial boundaries, right? We should be open to startups coming and going um, when and where appropriate, depending upon, again, the geographic strengths of whatever community we're talking about. So I want to talk about two hugely important resources. One is the, the human capital and the other is actual financial capital. And a lot of times, you know, I think just to kind of lay the baseline for, for the conversation, I guess, uh, for this part of the conversation at least, you know, we kind of have... You, when you have an ecosystem, you know, a lot, I feel, at times, especially at uh, early stages, is investing in the actual individuals there that, that have identified an interest in doing entrepreneurship and startups, and you're trying to provide tool sets, guidance, wisdom, you know, mentorship, all that kind of stuff, and maybe small amounts of seed capital to get them going. Uh, but I think we're a little bit past that now. We talk about that rising tide, raising all ships, right? Really passionate people that are investing into a community. So that's kind of maybe stage one. But then all the questions, at least maybe I feel like we get here, is there's no follow-on capital. We don't have any additional money. Like, is that kind of a common motif you see, Jared, maybe across that everybody's like, how do we, ha we don't have access to capital. Yeah, there, there are certain things that I hear in every single city I go to. Actually, I didn't hear all of these here. Um, but, <laughs> uh, one is we have a, a great, a high quality of life, low cost of living. That's the one I did not hear here. Um, but you, you hear that everywhere. Uh, no, no, no. We have a great healthcare community. Everyone thinks that they're great at healthcare and, and entrepreneurship. Did um, we? Did I tell you we have a great healthcare yeah, community yeah, in Hawaii? Yeah. How's your, how's your yes, cost of How's your cost of living? It um, sucks, actually. We call it the paradise tax. <laughs> All right, at least you can be honest about that. Um, but the other one is that we need capital. I mean, I've never been to a place that doesn't have a problem with with capital, and I don't disagree. I think that we allow it to become a top priority problem before it needs to be, that we don't solve other issues before we need. Like, in, in talking to, to Tark here, that's something, like, very quickly we kind of said there are bigger issues. There, there are It's kind of an excuse, right? It's like, oh, we can't get any further because, oh, we don't have a capital. Well, I mean, it, if you don't build a foundation, and if, there's, if, if it's a porous foundation, then capital's not going to have the effect that it could. We talk... Village Capital a lot about subsidization, and it's just this, why don't we start with what's closest to the problem and has the closest understanding of the problem? And Sorry, subsidization? Yeah. And, and <laughs> can, you, can we have a vocabulary? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, just ha having things that are closest related to an item, an action, a problem are most familiar with it. And okay. information from that will be most what is it pascal's razor like the most obvious is that what occam's that is razor. what is it occam's razor occam's razor i think it's kind of in line with that it's it's saying that you know first you have startups and i don't think we're getting the most out of startups and that's i think the peer rank process in itself is great at that like let's go ahead and make sure that we are pulling every bit of value out of the things closest to the problems which are the entrepreneurs that we can and then kind of move from there I think ultimately capital doesn't come into play. I mean, you're going to have mentorship, you're going to have programmatic elements, you're going to have screening processes, all that are going to happen beforehand. But instead of concentrating on how to make sure we're getting the most out of those, I think we spend a lot of time as kind of a, a entrepreneurial culture trying to solve this capital problem and not paying enough attention to the other things that we could do that could be incredibly valuable and maybe put us in a position where investments aren't as risky or we're much more aware of what we're getting into beforehand, which would probably help people feel more comfortable investing money into these types of things. Yeah. So I think in terms, I mean, you've heard me say this thousands of times, Omar and I, like 
money follows talent, money follows innovation, right? You should be solving problems and using capital to sprint like crazy, right? It's just gas on the fire. Uh, money does not solve the problems, right? So I, I think if you can go out there and you find a, um, you know, you get that problem solution fit and you're trying to, you're trying to refine it as you're growing your startup, you want to be able to go to an investor and say, every time I do X, like 10 times Y happens. Like I know for a fact, this is what the use of funds will be. And I, I can almost guarantee you, um, you know, we'll either, you know, spread into this market this way or we'll provide a financial return in that way. But it's, 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 not, it's a really simple formula. It's one that's really like kind of resonated with me this year. It's like every time we do X, 10 times Y happens. That's why I want to, that's why I need capital to grow faster than I could have without your capital. That's all it comes down to. Hmm. Well, I think there's like, just to kind of continue on this conversation, there's a couple of interesting things that come to mind. One is very recently, I think it was like two days ago, I saw an article, an analysis, I think through Mattermark's uh, newsletter that <coughs> was talking about basically you can raise too much money. And they had like this bell curve for startups that raise actually the success and then how much they raise. And like if you, they can raise too much too early and it was a time factor, um, you know, because we talk about something in relation to scarcity, right? If you raise maybe too much money right now, then your your burn is $30,000 a month, 40, 50, that it keeps building and growing. Uh, you're not going to be as scrappy. You know, there's actually, I think, some benefits. Uh, maybe this is a blog post uh, we'll, we'll be putting out or something. Some of the benefits of actually being an off-the-beaten-path, quote-unquote, startup community that we're building. up. So there's not this kind of, oh, we can just go raise a million-dollar seed round uh, as if and I, it's not getting easier right now. It's getting harder, I would believe. And the data is showing that, you know, some of that pace in terms of investing is slowing down. But um, in terms of that, that kind of investment ratio being, you can raise too much money and it actually hurts you to a sense, right? Um, so, Jared, I'd love to actually uh, talk about some of your insights and perspective being on the ground, being here in our beautiful Hawaiian Islands, and kind of some of the conversations you've had, the things you observed. Uh, so two questions, I guess. One would be, the, what were the things that attracted you to select Hawaii as a VILCAP community? And then two, like, tell us kind of maybe how we compare both positively and negatively to the different communities you've seen around. Yeah, the first question, I think, it, back to the self-awareness. We had a lot of conversations. We got on the phone. We exchanged tons of emails with multiple organizations here. And I think we recognized pretty quickly that this was a place that knows there's more to do. And it, it wasn't this, hey, we're the greatest place in the world for startups and you should pick us because this is it. Because I, I think we, we know that that's not the case. Because we have great health care. Yeah, you because have it's a high quality of living, low cost of life. Low cost of life. Um, low cost low of life. Cost of yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think in understanding that, it wasn't like this is perfect because we know it's not. There's there's nowhere is. I mean, I guess San Francisco, New York, and Boston have some claim to their success. But given that everywhere else doesn't, we wanted someone to kind of tell us it didn't because we wanted to come in and be able to make an impact. It's, it's kind of with a few inputs, with a few pieces added to the puzzle, everything's going to become complete. And I think that there was a pretty firm grasp on that being the case here, I think. The energy narrative makes sense. We talked a lot about that, about the cost of energy here, about all the natural resources available for energy. So we can see that there was some potential competitive advantage if what we were hearing was the case. And, and you know, we, we trusted Tarek and Omar. I thought his name was 
Tariq at the time. Um, <laughs> and, and so yeah. that happened. <laughs> but, um, you know, and then having conversations. Just don't with Google Tariq Sultan. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you did it to yourself, <laughs> man. You I wasn't even going to say anything. Like, it's out there already. That's true. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and, then, and then I think talking to, uh, to Omar and, and Tariq, it was – that they weren't telling us that they just wanted capital, that they weren't saying that we were going to come here and fix everything because we had a fund and we had relationships with other funds. It was how can we mutually benefit from a relationship with each other? And that's what we want. You know, we're, we're relying heavily on these communities. They're not our programs. This is not Bill Cap's program here. It, it's Hawaii's program, and we're supporting it. And we wanted people that understood that and wanted to take responsibility for that action. And I think... If anything, my concern would be that we weren't going to be useful enough, and, and that's that's a better thing to feel because I know that we are, um, but I kind of wanted the attitude of, hey, we're going to do this one way or another with you or without you, but we'd love for you to be a part of it, and, and that's something that we immediately felt here and I think made us much more comfortable in saying we're not going to hold anyone's hand, and, and if we get hit, if our company gets hit by a bus, all of us, um, that <laughs> activity is going to continue to take place here. Gotcha. Is that a good segue for Rise of Westbrook? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I wanted to segue. So I guess maybe the second part of that question, like what oh, do yeah, you think yeah. we've done done well and what can we improve on? Yeah, so this is – Give us the give us the legit straight yeah, talk, Jared. I, I will, and everyone's going to be disappointed. I mean, not willy-willy, sorry. <laughs> yeah, not willy-willy. Um, everyone's going to be disappointed in this answer because I don't know yet. I, I, and it, it, I have been to so many of these cities and very rarely am at a loss for comparison – but here I kind of am. This is not like anywhere else. And How so? I mean, at first it's isolated. And I think we talk about these barriers, but th there's this this legitimate barrier here. Called the Pacific Ocean? Yeah, called the Pacific <laughs> Ocean, and it's huge. And, and I mean, the time zones. I, I've, I wake up every morning to 70 emails because everyone's been up for six hours. And it's just a little confusing. Like, it's just all in all. It's kind of confusing to do work here. And I'm sure if you're here, it's something you get used to, but it's been hard for me to kind of pinpoint what it is that can be done or needs to be done. I think the strengths are also the weaknesses. Isolation is tough, but also isolation for you know agriculture and different things also becomes an advantage. And so figuring out how to position all of those so that it makes sense has, has been difficult. And the other thing is, and this is a good thing, and I need, I need to be better about this, is quality of life. It's a very different thing here. I laugh. Um, like Tark and Omar have scheduled so that I have time and normally people I would ask to schedule so I had time to answer emails but I've been scheduled so I have time to go hiking and to go out on the water and it's not like oh you're from out of town have a good vacation it's this is what it is here and you need to learn that like I, I usually I forget to eat lunch all the time and I was having a meeting today, and I emailed, and I said, can we just, I'm not going to eat lunch. I'm probably going to work through it. Can you just meet me here? Um, and the person I was meeting with was in the office and came up and said, no. And they're like, you need to eat. <laughs> so we're going to eat. And I was like, I, okay, I'm used to people. I'm buying like, you a plate lunch yeah, yeah, from my <laughs> favorite place, <laughs> That's bro. That's really it was. But it was, you know, I, I guess I'm, I'm, not used, I'm not used to that. And so I think that it's. In this startup world, it, it's so fast, and it's go, 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 and it's do more, do more, do more. And I know that there's a diminishing return to that, and people are burning out, and you're not getting as much done. And here's on the opposite side of that. Now, where Ideal lives is somewhere in between. I don't know if it's closer to one or the other. But 
you're forced to slow down here. And it, it's good. Like, I read part of a book last night. And I... What book, yeah, Jared? I, yeah, it's um, Screw Tape Letters. Oh, yeah? yeah C.S. Lewis. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty confused by the whole thing still, but I like <laughs> it. <laughs> we can talk after. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, it, it's just, it, it's not like anywhere else for that reason, but that's a big reason. I think that when you talked about the social aspect of everywhere else, it's the secondary thought of, this is a great place to live. Like, you should come here, and they'll tell you about it, and it, they know it's important. Did you know we're, we're drinking liquid aloha brewed yeah. here in Hawaii? Yeah, and it's, it's everything, big you know, and here it's not 10% of the conversation. It, it's ha- it feels like half. It, it feels like you have to you have to find a way to balance the two. And I've never been forced, I haven't in a long time been forced into a circumstance to do that. And early in the week, I would have said that I thought maybe it was a bad thing, like a, you're gonna have trouble competing because of it's slower. And, and I know that you know some people here that I've talked to can get frustrated just when they're trying to work at this rapid pace and you, you can't because you can only move as fast as everything else around you is moving. But I think there's a lot to be said for being happy and quality of life. And we're investing in people and we're giving them money, rarely asking, are you happy? Because who knows, maybe they'll quit because they're not happy. Or if you're going through a rough relationship. You maybe need to ha- add a happiness factor to this yeah, peer no, no, review, really, yeah, right? It, you know, or, you know, it's it kind of true. It's, it's uh, Do we need to invest more in people's personal health, mental health? Because ultimately, if you're going through a breakup because you're working too much, you're probably not going to be very good at work. And then that's kind of a cliche example but there's something about being here that i don't know maybe i was maybe i'm wrong maybe i maybe sounds like you're in a very pensive place jared yeah i am no but (laughs) he walked in today while we were eating lunch and it was like seven or eight of us all eating around the tables together he walks in he's like you guys always eat lunch together (laughs) i was like yeah we kind of do like we try to it wasn't something like we enforced but we just thought about it i didn't tell him that we also work here six days a week that's probably why yeah no jared you and i were um it was Speaking of being very pensive, I'll, I'll kind of have that vulnerability moment too. We were at a um, so we have a Proto Hub here, and we were just kind of having a nice dinner at uh, Shauna's place. It's a beautiful place for my birthday, uh, for Tarek's birthday. <laughs> yes, happy birthday! Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, on the water in, in Diamond Head, in this beautiful sunset, incredible. Like water, literally right there. Like you're on the ledge, and the water's just crashing up. So you hear the waves; it's gorgeous. And uh, we're just kind of like reflecting. We're talking about balance, right? We're talking about kind of this balance. And there's a yin-yang. There's that kind of thing where uh, Tarek probably works 80 to 100 hours a week. I, I don't know how him and his brother do it. Uh, living in the office sometimes, like that's like living and breathing it. And we were talking about balance on both sides, right? So, the, you know, maybe frustrations, uh, not saying that that's what Tarek was saying, just in general, yeah, like I want to move this fast at this pace, but we're, we're slowed down. Even construction, you know. Things being built around can, can be slower, and there's also really positive elements to kind of glean from that of just like, you know what, slow down, really enjoy life, because otherwise you're going to blow past it, and what's the point? Yeah. yeah, part of that, I was just talking about how we found that when we are enjoying life, when, you know, you're going working out, you're going to the beach, like, your actual level of productivity goes up, right? You enjoy what you're doing way more, and, I mean, burnout's a real thing, and it's a, it's a huge thing in a startup world, right? So I think it's something that resonates with all of us, actually. I think I... I'm staying with a friend here and she wakes me up in the morning so that we can go hike. And when I'm going hiking, I'm not going hiking or I'm not working out in the morning because I have to, cause I'm not going to at any other point. Like when I'm living in DC or anything else, like I'm like, oh, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. Cause I'm never going to get to it. I'm doing it in the morning because it's what I want to do in the morning here. It's like how I would like to start my morning. It's not being forced into the circumstance because it's the only opportunity I have. It's, 
not feeling guilty about doing it and enjoying it. Like, this is how I'm going to start my day. Yeah. And that's a different feeling. But then I think, like, in the end, yeah, I'm more productive for it. Like, if I lived here, I would love to take three hours off in the middle of the day and go surf or do whatever, because I feel like I could work at night, too. But there's this... There's there's a lot to enjoy here that's so close and so accessible and it's just we forget that too being yeah. in it right I mean I tell people on the mainland like, oh you must surf all day all the time I'm like no like I literally sat in cold <laughs> AC with a beanie on under fluorescent lights getting paler by the moment like that's what I did today that's why we have our lanai come on <laughs> we do have an amazing lanai have you been on the lanai yet I don't know what a lanai you know, is. <laughs> This is exactly what I was going to say. Come on. But I mean balcony. Oh, oh, yeah. No. Can we do a a Puna High? What's the happy hour? (laughs) A pow, whatever. Can we do one of those on the Lanai? I was going to say, we're going to take our liquid Aloha and enjoy the uh, sunset coming up soon on our Lanai for the official Pauhana. And, um, well, two two points, I guess, to to kind of... uh, round out our conversation so uh first of all i do want to give Tarek an opportunity to brag because he was just in baltimore and i know there was a peer review component to some aspect of a community and i saw the graph to my understanding you did pretty well so yeah so, so i'm gonna say i'm gonna say something about okay. this. i know what he's gonna say too no, no no i don't think you do because here's the thing is i had to leave on friday and i've been traveling since i don't know uh, I literally don't know the outcome of this. So this is the first time that I've heard this. So Drum roll, please. Yeah, so, well, let me let me back up. So it's, it's, so the way the peer rank, actually, it's probably better if you describe how it works, but I'll, I'll do it anyway. Um, so the way it works is the deltas over time, right? You want to see uh, teams, startups, communities, whatever the peer ranking thing is performing over time. It's an imperfect model um, the first time you do it because you don't know a lot of information about each of the teams yet. But the whole idea is to see uh, one, am I communicating something effectively or not? Or two, if I am communicating effectively, like just what are my weaknesses? So uh, when we first started off in Salt Lake City, I think like we just did a really like uh, rudimentary trial run and like Honolulu was kind of towards, uh, or Hawaii, uh, we're representing Hawaii, was towards the bottom of the list, right? And by the end of Salt Lake City, I think we ranked um, the top four, three yeah. or four. So in Baltimore this time, I kind of understood the process better. Um, and so we were, I was really trying to like, leverage what strengths we had that I learned from the Salt Lake City process, what improvements we've made since Salt Lake City, because that was about three months ago. Um, so what was your what was your playbook there then? Do you uh, want to share your secrets? No. <laughs> <laughs> and so, again, it was just another trial run. Uh, but, yeah, uh, Hawaii came out on top on top of the, I think, 14 or so cities that were represented in Baltimore. So it was pretty exciting to see that, right? We're, we're literally getting nationally recognized by our, by our peers um, that are all experts in their you know respective cities and in their respective sectors. That's one really cool thing about the peer review. I think w- uh, like we all kind of crave that like uh, recognition from our peers, and that's inherently baked into that model. Right? I mean, it, who knows how to be a good support entrepreneurial support organization better than entrepreneurial support organizations? <laughs> I mean, like that's very deep. Like the sim- the simplicity of it's kind of amazing. It, it's that. Like, I think that's great that Inc. Magazine or Forbes and, and both publications I love come out with all of these things, but that's the impi- you know, opinion of a journalist or some aggregate of people that might not be connected to it. But this is people that are doing it and, and people that are watching you do it over time, too. Like he says, it, it's this delta over time, and it's great to see progress because I think progress is more indicative of success than current placement. Like, you know, we always say you can be a startup, but if you're as good now as you were four months ago, 
might not want to take a chance on you. I'd rather someone not as good as you that's just rapidly improving over time. That's a really that's really interesting, actually. I think just that kind of approach, right? Like you, it, we tell our teams, right? Like what? Uh, <laughs> I think you were going to say the same thing. <laughs> okay, you go ahead. Uh, no, so I was going to say that, like to Luke, uh, you know, we've told a number of teams that have applied to our program. What have you done in the last year since the last time you applied, right? Because we have a lot of repeat applicants, and if the answer is nothing, like that's that's worse than a no for us. That's like, well, you obviously aren't that dedicated about it, right? Because the capital again is not going to solve anything for you. Yeah, like what got you here isn't what isn't gonna what's get you like to the next step. Yeah, since like, since Tarek when he started as Tariq and now <laughs> to Tarek, like his improvement. The artist formerly known yeah, as Tariq. His, his improvement has just been amazing. <laughs> and, <laughs> um. I have one question, actually, just to kind of go back to um, a conversation earlier. I think I was building up to it, and I forgot it, but I remembered it. And that's the question I wanted to talk about when we were talking about raising capital is bootstrapping. Is that something that is even part of the conversation or narrative where uh, you kind of advise people, like, try and, like, don't raise money if you don't have to? Yeah, I think it's, it's not – it's should you or should you not, but also what other options do you have? I think it's – we, we put so much emphasis on venture dollars or investment dollars raised, and I hear groups all the time say, yeah, well, you know, we try and teach our groups that it's not as important, and it, it just keeps coming up, but then you ask them, like, well, tell me that you're a successful accelerator, and they're like, well, we've helped companies raise $35 million, and that's the only thing they talk about. So, I mean, it's just become, like, this, this leading and lagging indicator of success, which, which doesn't make a ton of sense. So... We definitely, during our curriculum and during our programs, and we hope that the programs of the communities we're working with have some element of understanding whether or not it's good for you and what's good for you. You know, equity investment's not right for everybody. There's a lot of different ways to do things. And when you're raising money and how much you're raising money is important too. And I think in equity dollars can be very good for growth, not just because of the money being input, but if you get the right group doing it, the connections that can be made. So there is a lot of value it's there. definitely a multiplier effect, the value yeah, add, yeah. right? But at the same time, if you have a bunch of customers that are paying you a bunch of money and you don't need to take capital, then you own all your business. Account-based selling, right? Yeah, Sell who's, into who's your existing book of business. going to fault you for that. And um, If people spend as much time trying to acquire customers as they do investment, I don't. I wonder you know, kind of what, what that transition would look like. But, yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it's – I don't want anyone to ever think that you have to raise money to be successful. And there's not just you can do it on your own by bootstrapping, but there, there's a lot of ways that you can make this work. And, and I think everyone should explore them all. I think that's a really important point. Just like put it on the table, right, about, you know, what's best for your company, right? It always depends. But you got to look at the options. There's also at some point debt capital that, that should be part of the mix in terms of, you know, you have a balance sheet and it's either debt or equity that's going to fund your, fund your growth beyond your income statement and the revenues that you're driving to build up that network and reinvest into the business uh, that way. So uh, if we can round out uh, real quick, I know this is going to be a big, big kind of all-encompassing question and, and Jared will kind of... Uh, let, let you kind of wrap that up and tar- let you add in your own points. But let's say, Jared, if you were, I don't know, a cool city, maybe, maybe uh, now Willy Willy Town, if you were to go to a city and say, I'm going to start an ecosystem, I'm going to do a, I'm going to build startups here, I'm going to help the community, I'm going to do that. What would you like kind of go through maybe your top five list of like, these are the things I would do or things I would be looking for? I know it's a big question, so you can take a second to. Yeah, you should have emailed me that. <laughs> I should. Um, you know, first, at first, I would just I would try and learn the story of the city. I'd become very, very, very interested in why cities are what they are. Um, 
Nashville and Healthcare, HCA was started in 1968. It spun out over 500 companies. It's the largest healthcare provider in the country. And now Nashville's home to three of the five largest healthcare providers in Vanderbilt. There, there's these reasons that it is what it is. And I think learning that, and it really is a story, it's something that makes sense, is really important. So first I would do that. I now go to museums, like kind of like the history museums of cities. General Mills has a museum in Minneapolis that's like the history of food and agriculture in, in Minneapolis. And it's kind of crazy what you can learn there. And it's something that people can connect to. So first I would do that. I would maybe find a single history teacher and take her out to dinner and learn about the history. Of I, I love that you said her. Or him. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you know, it, just kind of learn about the city and why it is where it is. And then I think corporate engagement's a big piece, and, and it's not just so that they're going to acquire the businesses. It's purchasers of what you're doing. It's, it's intellectual input into what's going on. It's mentorship. It's people to join your team. It, we can't rely on kids fresh out of college to build all of the next phases of businesses. I mean, if you're in healthcare, I'd say that you're more likely to find success having been in the industry for some number of years and then moving from it. So seeing with that story is, it should align or most likely will align the story that you recognize from the museums and the history of the city to align with the types of companies that are there now. Um, and I think with that too, then you see investment. So if, if you've been successful in a sector and if a city's been successful in a sector, a sector and it's got all sorts of corporate input from that, then people have made money in it, so they're comfortable investing in it. You, you feel better about doing that. So I think it's really trying just to get a broader view of why where I'm, why Nah Willy Willyville is, <laughs> is where it's at now. It sounds like a South Park episode, yeah, right? right? <laughs> um, why it is where it is and what's been created from that, like, you know, kind of one been built up to that point. I think there's a, there's a book called Ishmael, and I've read Daniel Quinn Ishmael, but it talks about how all societies at some point have lived under some specific law. And it was a, ancient Greece, it was hmm. Greek mythology that at the point wasn't mythology, it was, it was the truth. And it talks about religion here and, and, and evolution versus creationism. But I think the point still remains the same, that it's saying we look at things as though everything has happened so that this point in history is now. Like now is the only thing that matters. And I think taking a step back and looking at what it's always been. I mean, two years ago, it was now. And two years from now, it will be now. I mean, this is just some point of it, that everything hasn't been created for startups' benefit today, that they're just some piece of that evolutionary process of a sector in a city. And they need to figure out how they fit into that, how they fit into this, this broader, longer story. It's very, uh, I, don't, I don't even know. I just kind of got existential there for a minute. I was like, follow that. <laughs> Remind me of Guns, Germs, and Steel, but... Yeah, I was thinking... Or Sapiens. Yeah, or yeah, Sapiens. Yeah. Oh. Um, okay, my answer will be much more brief, and um, I'm actually going to summarize... So I, I was actually invited out to Maine Startup um, and Create Week through our buddy, our mutual friend, uh, Jess Knox, and Martha Bentley is up there through Maine Accelerator's <coughs> Growth. Um, oh, and shout out to Jess Knox for launching a new accelerator program called Venture Hall out in Maine. Ooh, Jess Knox Venture Hall. Hopefully you'll <laughs> share this podcast episode with all your friends. <laughs> So when I was up there, they asked, what does it take to build a successful startup ecosystem? So that's, that's more or less the question um, I think at hand, right? And so my answer, as generic as it sounds, well, first off, again, you, you know, the Village Capital, Salt Ventures, we believe in leveraging your geographic strengths, right? So that's, a, that's kind of a given in our, in our, in our um, answers. 
The other thing is, um, it sounds really cliche, but it's diversity, right? So diversity in terms of who's involved. So uh, you know, you need you need uh, co-working space, you need accelerators, you need some capital. Like capital is kind of what you sprinkle on top. Of course, we think universities are important, but you know, peeling back a layer, what's really important there is education, right? Talent development, recruitment, retainment, etc. Um, also, a diverse set in that sense, right? Uh, governments, nonprofits, CDOs. You also need, of course, diversity of people, right? So uh, not just in terms of ethnicities and men versus women, although that's unbelievably important, probably one of the most important, but diversity in, in terms of talent, right? In terms of networks, et cetera. So the more you can, that's, this is why, uh, you know, I've been traveling so much this year, and this is why, you know, Souls Ventures think it's so important to build these natural partnerships is because of this diverse network, right? There, it's, it's a power of, of um, what's that phrase, of, of the network, right? Uh, that's important to Hawaii. We are geographically isolated. So, but I think that's important for any community is that is diversity to long and short. Awesome. Well, um, I, I, my, I can't really like summarize it all up, but I know those will be really good points for the show notes to kind of like round out our conversation. Really appreciate uh, the chance to chat with you, Jared. Um, how long are you here for? You got your leave uh, early next week? Monday. Monday. Yeah. So hopefully you get some more hikes in. Uh, we can talk after on our lanai about uh, the awesome places you should go check out over your last couple of days. Uh, I know we have a couple of different events coming up, but uh, yeah, awesome to have you. Look forward to having you come back through uh, the Hawaiian Islands and uh, love uh, to keep track of all the cool stuff that you got going on down the road, man. Rise yeah. of the rest, yeah, coming soon. Yeah, excited to be here. I think that I hope everyone understands that this is an incredible place to be for business and for life. And I am very thankful to be spending a weekend out here. Very good. Well, that'll do it for us, guys. Thank you so much. Aloha. Thank you, Jared and Tark. What a great show. Lots of good stuff. Please share this episode, guys. Subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. That would be awesome. Well, this is the Startup Catalyst podcast brought to you by Sultan Ventures. I'm your host, Luke Tucker, signing off. Tune in next Thursday for a collection of bonus episodes where we chat with several Accelerate UH Cohort 4 companies fresh off their graduation. Aloha.